Welcome to Solutions from the Huddle, powered by Collaborative Solutions Group. We're discussing meaningful business and life topics to add motivation to your life and value to your efforts. Our show is hosted by certified professional CSG coaches who are often hired for private coaching, corporate training, and speaking engagements. Now, enjoy the show. This is Solutions from the Huddle, and I am your host, Titus Bartolotta. The show is powered by Collaborative Solutions Group. I'm so, so thankful that you guys have tuned in and that you're going to be uh, dialed in with notepads and, and an open mind and like ready to learn and, 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 and trying to not get distracted while you're driving or doing the laundry or have this on as background while you're at your computer doing email. Listen, how about this episode? Maybe this is the one where you just kind of like, just listen to this episode. Cause I'm telling you right now, we have got a high performance coach. We have got a brilliant person and the unpacking of today's uh, insight is going to be worth your undivided attention. That's what I think at least. Um, and, and so today our new best friend who I'm going to introduce in just a moment, uh, she is a coach. She is an author. She is a speaker. And you know, I, those are my favorite people to bring on the show. I love my people. Um, I think that there is so many wonderful, awesome opportunities for us to grow and develop. And we're going to get to do that from our new friend today. Uh, we start every show the same way though. And that's in prayer. We'll do it this time as well. We hope you join us. Lord, we just ask that you bless the show, our guest, uh, our listeners, our sponsors, just every aspect. Let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight. Amen. All right, folks. My new best friend is Eva Medelec. And uh, who knows if I said the last name right? She's going to, in a moment, she'll let us know. She's giving me the thumbs up. We are good. Eva is a certified high performance coach. She's an international speaker. And she's an author of a, a book called The Intimacy of Race. I can't wait for her to unpack that for us. She coaches uh, men and women in all areas of personal development, uh, leadership. And, and how about this? How about mastering habits for success, right? How many of you are out there trying to break bad habits? We've got the expert here today. Eva, thanks for being my new best friend. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Titus. I'm excited to be here. And hey, everybody out there in podcast land. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is going to be so good. Eva, Help us know like kind of your origin story. Where did you come from? How did you develop and grow and, and gather along the way? Like, how did you go down the, the shopping aisles of life and fill up your cart and then get to this <laughs> moment today? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. So I was born in a little cabin. No, I'm not going to go that far back, but you know what? <laughs> in my other life, I was a dental hygienist and I bet I was a hygienist for nearly 40 years and being one of the only black in my class of dental hygiene in New Jersey, I had a professor say to me, you will never be successful as a hygienist. And I mm. took that gauntlet thrown challenge, accepted. And within yeah. six months, Titus, I was cleaning the acting legend, Sidney Poitier's teeth. Come on. And I was 20 years old at Hello. that time. Hello. Hello. And so I think part of who I am is the minute somebody tells me I'm no or I can't, I'm going to figure out a way. Yeah. And, you know, and I had a very successful regular life, I'll say. And then in the, um, the financial downturn that started in 2008, it was when I was downsized. And it was a point in my life, I just turned 50 in 2010. And I remember thinking, going on interviews, how humiliating that was. And I'm like, I'm not going to have my dreams come true working for someone else to be rich. Mm. I was downsized. My salary was reduced. So everything. And it was, it was a two by four to the head. Like, wow. you know what you were meant to, for more, to be more, to do more, to have more. And so the search was on. Now, did I know what I was meant to be doing half? Oh no. <laughs> I had no idea. But I knew that I had to take action for it. And that's, that's the key. I had to do something and figure it out. I had to start the journey and see what I would find along the way. And I actually started a real estate investing company. I read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Yeah, Have you great. read it? Yeah. yeah, great. Great book. And so I decided to be educated by Robert and his team on how to become a real estate investor. And so that was a huge mm. investment for someone who had just pretty much lost half of her salary and her livelihood. Yeah. 
that yeah. was huge. And I was newly married at the time. And my husband was not happy about it, but I had to, I had to invest in myself if I was really serious and committed to making our dream of freedom and living in Europe and just having that entrepreneur lifestyle come through. And being a hygienist, I had no idea what that meant. I only knew how to clean teeth. So I can tell you any dental problem you have, I can help you with that. And so my point is, um, I had to invest in coaches and mentors and trainings to get the knowledge that I didn't have, but also to collapse that timeline. Because yeah. I mean, I was already 50 years old. I didn't have a lot of time left. Yeah. How to close the gap, how to close the gap. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, and it was through that experience that I was put in a community of people, you know, who were coaches and mentors. And with the success that we had in the, in the company, um, I was asked to to come on as a, a mentor to new investors. And that's when I realized that our old habits, patterns, beliefs, and behaviors are what really blocks people from being successful. Because mm. I, I was watching people spend 30, 40, 50 grand on learning how to become a real estate investor the right way and still be in inaction. They were just mm. collecting knowledge and not taking action on any of it. Yeah. No matter how much I coached and mentored them on that skill, they needed the life skills coaching on how to break those old habits that were sabotaging and damaging their chances for success. Wow. And create new habits to bring them forward, to take action, to have that, the clarity, the energy, the courage yeah. <laughs> to do what they needed to do. And so that's how I became a high performance coach. What a brilliant journey. Um, and, and I got, I mean, I, I'm over here going, I hope she's not looking at my teeth right now. Like, you know, I'm, I'm concerned, I'm worried. Um, but, but, you know, that just kind of pours into what you just said. I mean, the life coaching side of things, I'm, I'm being funny, of course, but, but it is not crazy that somebody would immediately go, oh gosh, is she looking at my teeth? Just the, just the, the, the <laughs> things, just the things that we deal with as humans, right? Like, like all of the stuff that gets in our way of lack of confidence, you know, this procrastination as a go to life model, right. Which yeah. has never served. Or, or, or the folks that are like really, really positive that are hopeful all the time, like as though hope is a strategy, all just, just all by itself, you know, and I'm a person of faith and we start the show, every show in, in prayer, but you know, I, it's frustrating when I see folks that go, I'll pray on it. And I go, well, and then what? And what? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like, let's do prayer. Yeah. Let's do prayer. <laughs> yeah. But, but hit me with an and I want to, yeah. I got to get. And so I love what I hear you say um, that you saw that your clients uh, had to really get some of that life stuff cleaned up so they could actually get around mm-hmm. to some of that performance execution stuff. How did you bridge that gap? Um, you know, for that person who thought well, this is going to be a, a business professional uh, experience. Um, and maybe you had a few folks that thought it was going to be real lifey and you were mm-hmm. like, uh, you, is the confidence up? Yeah. Okay. Now, now let's take, now let's go do something productive. How do you bridge that? When somebody walks in with their own preconceived notion and you're more about their growth than their preconceived notions. Well, you know, I try to be very clear in where I'm about. Like I Mm. lay the foundation first. I was like, you know, you got to know yourself before you can grow yourself. That's right. And the first step is taking a look at where the past still has a hold on you. I see it as this thread, this thread that, you know, as much as we try to dig up weeds, those roots are so deep that it may take 10 years, but that weed will come back up again. And Mm -hmm. you thought you have gotten it. And so when we look at our, our responses to our early life experiences and the protections that we put around ourselves and how we reacted as children to um, things, events, people who hurt us, and maybe to please our parents, you know, maybe you had that parent that modeled hard work and was a workaholic and you bring that into your life and that ignores their family. You know, we look at how success is causing us. Well, let me put it this way. Our drive to succeed is actually causing us to sacrifice the reason why we want to succeed, which Mm. is our health, our well-being, our relationships. And a lot of people don't know how to change that. And I come from a place where, you know, we know where 
that seed was planted. And when it was planted and we can see it, it's easy for us to take the next right action of integrity, even if it feels uncomfortable. I mean, I have clients in my practice who, you know, one of my clients' dad just worked so hard and was everything to everybody else, but in his own family, Mm. we ended up dying at a heart attack at age 50, because he was that much of a workaholic. And my client sees that that's not the path he wants to take, but he doesn't know how to break that that pattern of wanting to please his parent, even though his parent Mm. died when he was 18. And he saw that, no, I don't want to die and leave my children and my family alone. And it's just, okay, we've got to figure out where you got that workaholic attitude from and why you put work before family. Because we look at work-life balance as being equal, but it's not, you know, there's a time to laugh and a time to cry, as the song yeah. says, right? Yeah. And so when you look at a scale that's equal, what's the number on the scale? When both sides are equal, what's that number read on the scale? Uh, well, it could be zero, right? Depending yeah. Yeah, where the weight is. Yeah. If it's equal, that scale zeroes out on both sides. And so yeah. that's the result that we get is zero results when Mm. we are trying to balance our work life and our personal life equally. And so we put so much pressure on trying to balance everything that we end up having nothing and zero out everything. And so looking at where we got the, our habits, patterns, beliefs, and behaviors is the foundation of moving into the new habits, patterns, beliefs, and behaviors of high performance that we get to build upon. So you got to start with the foundation. Yeah, no, that's so true. You know, I, I watch, I watch people up close and from afar uh, do so many wonderful things and create so many tall skyscrapers in their own little cities and, and their foundation is, is struggling and they know it. And, and I think that um, I think folks adopt this, this um, later lifestyle. Right. I'll just, yeah. I'm going to get to that later. And, mm-hmm. and, and they think they've become master prioritizers, like, and that's just not the priority. Right. And I go, and I go, well, then show me the list. Like if, if you know that that's, that's not the priority, then just show me the list. And none of them have a list actually written out. So, <laughs> so how, how do you, how do you challenge the listeners right now that say, okay, I kind of pick up what you're putting down. I, I get it. Right. There's some foundational things I probably need to work on. But then how do you fight the later lifestyle? How do you get the listener right now that's listening to the free podcast, trying to scoop in some insight, get some motivation on the way to work? How do you get them to do more than just agree? Because I, I oftentimes find that most folks are agreeable, even in the world we live in, in the news that tells us we all hate each other uh, and we're disagreeable. Uh, more people are agreeable, I've, I've come to know to be true. Um, so getting them to agree with you yeah, Eva, probably not hard. Getting them to uh, check the later lifestyle may be a little more challenging. That was me. <laughs> yeah. So you're asking me to talk to myself here. That's it. You yeah. know, when I was when I was building my real estate investment business, and that was kind of a a four or five year build. I was still working as a dental hygienist, and mm. you know, you might be too young to to remember this, but there was this song. Uh, this jingle from this commercial from the late 1970s, early 1980s. And it went, I can bring home the bacon, fry it up in a pan and never let you forget you're a man because I'm a woman, Anjali. That's stuck in my head for 40 years that I had to do it all. In order for me to have it all, I had to be it all. And do it all too. And once I got it Heavy. all, then I can take care of my health. Then we'll take that vacation. Then we'll do that later, later, later. And that's how I was operating. I was working full time yeah. as a hygienist. I was working before work, lunchtime, and after work on building the mm. business and on weekends. I was also cooking, I was also shopping. I was also doing the laundry. I had control of everything, doing the books, everything. And then before long, my health started to break down. And my communication and my relationship with my husband 
was starting to blow up. And I kind of liken it to a NASCAR race. When you see those drivers racing at dangerously high speeds, Mm. doing everything they can to win the race without crashing and burning. And I remember thinking every time the lead car gets off for a pit stop, I'm thinking, why are you stopping now? You're going to fall behind and lose, right? Like, don't stop. But what I didn't realize is taking a pit stop is necessary to continue to race Mm. without breaking down. And that's what I was doing. I was running my life in business nonstop, racing at high speeds, trying to advance my career and have it all. And because I didn't stop or take a pit stop, my health was breaking down and my relationship was crashing and burning. And it was the day that we finally took a vacation and came back from Mexico, all happy and lovey-dovey. And I went to look at my husband's phone to get a photo of something. And my heart dropped. And I realized that he was having an affair in that moment. And I knew that I could lose it all. And it was the two by four to the head, the punch in the gut that said, Eva, you are 100% responsible for your 50% of this relationship. And you put all of your eggs in work and in achievement and, and, and the portfolio and the cash flow and all of that. Because this is a good man. And he just went into our communication. It just stopped. Communication mm-hmm. was everything. But I knew I shared the responsibility in that. And so my later smacked me in the face and it's like, it's now or never. And we got to work. We tore down our relationship and built a new one on a new foundation. We didn't repair the house. We built a new relationship. And here we are five years later, Mm. just together and happy and meshing in partnership because we both took responsibility for our part in that relationship and our part in that infidelity. And we built something new. I mean, what a, uh, first of all, thank you for being vulnerable and for sharing that. And, and thanks for, and thanks for, for winning. Um, you know, I mean, we, things break all the time and we throw them away, right? We, we, we're so quick. I remember the first time that somebody told me that um, I had, it was many, many years ago, Eva, I had an iPad and it was expensive. I mean, iPads are so darn much and every year electronics get cheaper and cheaper. Um, and I remember that I had paid, I don't know, seven, $800 for this iPad and, um, and, and something wasn't right with it and it needed, um, I thought it needed to be repaired. And, and the gentleman told me, um, oh, you just need to buy another one. And I thought, really, this seems like an expensive thing. And you have a shop where you fix these things. And, and he said, well, the, the cost of fixing it will almost be the cost of replacing it. And so I remember thinking to myself, number one, we live in a culture where indirectly the whole world is just telling us to replace, 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 like don't work on anything. Don't advance, fix. Um, God forbid we go from good to great, or, you know, like God forbid we go from broken to mended. Like, don't do that. Like we work in a culture where just, just replace it. Just get a new one. Cancel. Um, Next, cancel. Yeah. Cancel. I thought, I thought what a strategic way, whether you're a person of faith or you believe in whatever your belief system is, what a, what a very highly intentional way that whatever the adversary is in your life has, has gotten the world to, to co-sign this idea. Don't fix and work on anything, not even yourself. Don't do it. Just replace it. Just get a new one. And then I also thought, um, the difference between the replacement, which was slightly cheaper than, re- I'm sorry, repair, which was slightly cheaper than replacement. I thought to myself, the amount of money, the savings in this case, which d- didn't seem to be a lot to the person who wasn't going to spend the money, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Car- Carl wasn't paying nobody's bills. But Carl, was te- Carl was telling me it's only 250 bucks more. And I thought, wow, have we marginalized and just watered down actual real income or savings, or we just took something that had a value and said, it's not even worth anything. That $250 savings, eh, 
not enough. And I thought, man, what a, you know, when, when anybody tries to devalue the dollar, we make a big deal about it, but someone just devalued my minutes, my money Mm. and, and conditioned me and conditioned our clients and our friends and our loved ones and the communities we live in to either not work on something or not see the benefit of having worked on it instead of replaced it. Yeah. You know, that's, that's really powerful. And I was very, very intentional about who I shared, what was going on in my marriage, because yes, I did need support. You know, I, I'm a human being, (laughs) you know, this was very, very painful. And, you know, if you had told me that I would get a third eye or my husband would cheat on me, you know, your listeners can't see this, but I've got really expensive lashes on and I would have just budgeted for the next set on the third eye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, and my point is, you know, the most integrous human being. And I just saw that this was a reaction to hurt. This is a, re- a reaction of me being burned out, stressed out and overwhelmed where it affected my mood, my interactions with other people. I was always tired. You know, I'd sit down and watch TV with my husband and be asleep in five minutes. He did not have his wife because she was always giving her energy Mm. to something else. And your energy and your relationships matter more than anything else. You know, you look at a power plant, it doesn't have energy. It generates it. And I wasn't generating energy in my relationship. I was generating energy for other things. I put that priority on the back burner. Like we're good people. We'll figure it out later, but I've got to get my first, you know, $3 million in assets first. I gave myself five years to do this. And so I was super focused on that. And I, you know, I have this thing that I do with my clients where it's a CPR, clarity, priorities, and responsibilities. I had to get clear on what made me happy and what didn't make me happy and get clear on what was important to me and then mm. prioritize, you know, because even studies show when you don't have clear priorities, you're up to 30%, 30 times more likely to miss out on success. Wow. You don't have clear priorities. And when your priorities are clear, Roy Disney said this decision-making becomes easy because you'll make decisions that forward and support your priorities and values. And you Mm. look at it, is this supporting where I want to go? And if it's not, you know how we have shiny object syndrome. Well, at least I do. It's like squirrel. Ooh, (laughs) that looks good over there. Maybe I'll try that, you know, and then you're kind of all over the place. But when you're clear, I know this is what I'm creating and this is the amount of time and anything else. That's where the responsibility, the R, the responsibility of creating and setting boundaries creates that safety for you and your family and the, th- and the people that are important to you so that you can have that structure, support it, create it, but communicate it. You may have the boundary in your head, but nobody's a mind reader. You got to communicate. Like, for example, when my door is closed, the only one who doesn't honor that is the dog, but my husband knows <laughs> you don't knock and say, honey, can I come in? Yeah. I have an open door policy, but when it's closed, I'm on a podcast or I'm with a client and we were in private but before yeah. I did that, he was knocking and coming in and all the time before I made that clear. And I'd be like, <gasps> you know, the yeah. face, yeah. why are you doing yeah. that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm on zoom. I'm like, yeah. okay, you had the boundary. You were clear on what that meant. He wasn't. So it's on mm. me. The onus is on mm. me to communicate what I'm clear about, what my priorities are, and what the boundaries are to protect my priorities and values. We're talking with Eva Medelik. Uh, she is a per- high-performance coach. She's an international speaker. She is a published author. She's the author of The Intimacy of Race. I want to get into that right on the other side of our break. Uh, we just pause really quickly in every episode, and we want to just say thank you to the brands, the businesses, the logos, the companies, and the people that support Solutions from the Huddle. If you want to learn more about the companies and the brands that support this show, it's super easy. You just go to team-csg.com team-csg.com and click on the solutions from the huddle tab. When you do that, you'll see all their logos. And when you click on their logo, you'll get to see their website. And when you do that, you'll see why we stand next to them. 
Uh, we are talking to the only brand that really matters, though. And that is our new best friend, Eva Metalik. And I want to con- congratulate you on, on transitioning from multiple industries, like finding success and then doing it again and then doing it again and navigating um, what that looks like. Some folks don't find a way to perform at one thing, let alone uh, perform and mature and grow in multiple things. So cheers to you for that. Uh, cheers to, to developing uh, a great practice and, and bringing support to people. Uh, through the art of coaching and speaking. But what I really would love to do is uh, is give some space for your book. Um, I want to learn a little bit more about the intimacy of race. <clears throat> and so, um, and I don't know if the camera, I have a 4K camera uh, for this Zoom, but I don't know if you can see. Uh, super white, super bald, super male, talking to <laughs> a woman of color with a full head of hair. Um, yet here we are having a conversation um, it, it wouldn't it be nice if more people did that, I think, but tell us a little bit about your book, what's in it and why in the world should we be pausing even this podcast to go click and get our own copy? That book was born out of a live forum that I did in response to what was coming up for me personally in witnessing George Floyd's murder. And, um, as a woman of color who was married to a blonde haired, blue eyed German dude, like really German dude. Um, I felt a level of grief um, from that experience of watching a, a man die and wanted to help and didn't know how. Just wanted mm. to do something. You know, I, I'm a, a high end germaphobe, so I wasn't going out protesting with crowds of people that just wasn't my jam. And it was just like, how, what can I do to help? And I just meditated on it. I, I just sat and listened to spirit and just figured out something. And um, what came out of that is I could help. Well, what I noticed on, on social media is people trying to say the right thing and people canceling them. Don't say all lives matter. Don't say this. Don't say that. You know, you don't understand. And it was just like, oh my God, I saw through the mistakes into the intention, into the heart. Mm. And I just Mm. said, you know, there's a lot of well-meaning white people out there right now that are scared to death to open their mouth so they won't get canceled. And they're mm. going to make the, say the wrong thing and make a mistake. And the internet's going to be all over them. How dare you say that? You don't know. Because there was so many emotions leashed, unleashed on so many sides. And so I thought, sure. you know what? I'm going to create a forum and I'm going to ask um, women because I was very, uh, what I noticed is women's voices were really becoming vocal more than ever. And I was going to ask five other black women to come on with me who are experts in their field, whether it's um, diversity and inclusion, HR, leadership, all of that. And we're just going to create a listen and learn event. Will it balloon to like over 700 people on it just by word of mouth wow. spreading it on, on the Internet? And it was so powerful. It was three hours. And the book and the Facebook group of the same name, The Intimacy of Race, was born. The forum was called the Allyship Awareness Forum, and the book is a synopsis from everything that was discussed in that forum about, um, you know, myths about race and racism. You know, there's a really funny chapter that's called shit white people say and shouldn't (laughs) 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 what microaggressions are. But what I intentionally did was create a safe space for us to all want to get it right more than we need it to be right. That's good. Yeah, that's strong. I, what a necessary and, and healthy thing. You know, I found that during that season, um, I was getting asked to be on so many different shows. Um, you know, we don't know each other very well, even though we're best friends. Um, but I, you know, was, was, a good white person, I guess, you know, they, they wanted, they wanted like, um, how do we get the one that that's already invited to the cookout? And, um, and so it was interesting, uh, having to be so careful, you know, and I generally like to, um, you know, when you're a speaker as you are, um, sometimes audience don't realize there's a tremendous amount of energy and effort that goes into it. It looks very impromptu and conversational. So does Dave Chappelle. But when you watch the, the 400 
um, small rooms he worked before he did his Netflix. They're all very similar. It was very scripted. It was a lot of work. If he put it in, it wasn't lacking passion. It was, it was, uh, it was injected with a high level of, of intentionality. And mm-hmm. so when you, when you go into <clears throat> these conversations where the questions are, are not rehearsed, the answers are not rehearsed. And, uh, and there's so many eyeballs and so many followers and so many comments. And really all you want to do is just be honest and truthful. And so um, I, I was invited onto a lot of these different things. And, uh, and you know, I, I, found, uh, I found it refreshing and healthy and wonderful that these conversations are being had. And uh, I would like more folks that look like me to get to come to the cookout. You know what I mean? Like I would like um, folks that don't look like me to get to come to, I don't know, whatever the white person's version of the cookout is, um, you know, the, the barbecue, <laughs> um, you know, we're, eat, and we're so, eating outside. Yeah, we're eating, we're eating outdoors, we're, we're, we're eating outdoors. but you know, I mean, everyone's life is so different. It's so unique. It's so beautiful. It's so special. You know, I mean, I've heard more times than I can count. And I think it was with good intention. Like, I don't see color when, when, when you hear it's probably, I don't know if that's in your chapter, uh, shit. Yeah, that, you that is. That is. Okay. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, I, I always go like, man, if you take away any colors out of my crayon box, my picture's <laughs> not going to look as cool. Like, why would yeah. you do that? So, but I understand that not everyone comes from the same place of, of education and, and experience, um, let me tell you a story that I thought was cute. Um, I remember I'm originally from New York and, and um, a little different than where I live now. I live in the Carolinas and I wouldn't say that it's racist or, or that it's um, disenfranchising, um, you know, and, and uncomfortable. But, but I remember when I first came here and, and I remember coming home, I was, I was, nine, maybe 10 years old. And, and I remember going home and telling my mom, so like, like my brain couldn't compute Eva, what, what happened. It was the first time I saw, I saw lots of kids be bullies and be mean. I mean, we were poor. I would get made fun of for being poor. My accent, it said talking and coffee. This was before I oh, was able. And coffee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, so you're before, talking to a girl from New Jersey here. There you the go. City. Yes. I know what you're talking you. about. Thank you. <laughs> before I was able to, to make sure that my, my accent would be uh, quiet so that my intention and my desire to inject insight into people could be heard. Before that, I would get made fun of for all kinds of things. And so I wasn't, it wasn't weird to see someone get made fun of. I never necessarily associated with righteousness. It was okay to make fun of her because you had a crush on her. It was okay to make fun of him because he was poor or fat. Um, But I had never seen um, because of race. I just never seen because Tony was black. Like I'd never seen uh, or because Carl was white. I just never saw somebody choose that. And I remember when I first saw it, I was just like, my brain couldn't do the math. Cause I don't think that as young people, I think that, you know, maybe your book says I'm wrong and you're going to correct me, but I think, you know, I think racism is taught. I, I just, I just don't see my, my six-year-old um, doing the things that I see 26 and 36 year old people making choices to do in ignorance. But I remember going home telling my mom, you're not going to believe this. <laughs> and she's like, what happened at school today? <laughs> I, I was, I thought I was breaking news. Like I thought it was, <laughs> I was like, I was like, you're going to need to sit down for this. And, um, and, and I told her that I, I saw one of my friends be mean and hurtful to another one of my friends at this new school in this new town. And it was, oh, and I confirmed, I was like, I'm not guessing. I went and asked him, did you do this because of this? And he said, yes. And my mom laughed. And she laughed because she didn't know what else to do. And she goes, I didn't teach you. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Where we, where you used to live, where we were, mm-hmm. where it was all the crayons. I didn't mm-hmm. find it necessary to teach you at this age. Um, but I, and I guess I didn't think I needed to, but let's sit down and talk about it. And, and so she laughed and she goes, some people are stupid. And uh, she was like, she was trying to make me laugh and make it a, a, a situation that was highly, I was emotional about it. And I just remember now that may not be everybody's situation. Right. And so that informs so much of how I chose to go to life. Even when Let I feel ask that you a question. Yeah. Yeah. 
if I may, because I know you said something about your five-year-old. Have you ever seen the doll experiment? I have not seen the doll experiment. Um, tell me okay. about it. Yeah. So they, they put um, black children around that age, four, five, six, maybe seven. It was the, the oldest in a room with a white doll and a black doll. And they would ask them certain questions. Which doll is pretty? The white doll. Which mm. doll is good? The white doll. Which doll is bad? The black doll. Which doll looks like you? The black doll. And they did it with little boys, little girls, over and over and over. Little brown girls, little black girls, little brown boys, little black boys. And when you see it, it's heartbreaking because yeah, racism is so much a part of the system that we don't even realize. We don't even notice it. It's like breathing air. It's so a part of the system. Like these children did not learn racism. But instinctively, from what I call the mosquito bites of microaggression, they knew that their skin color was associated with being the bad and the ugly at that mm. young age. And when you see that, and especially if you've got children around that age, it will break your heart. And it makes you wonder about the subtle ways that racism um, microaggressions, if you not racism, unconscious biases is what I meant to say, is seeping into our children, whether it's explicitly taught or no, it's seeping mm. in somehow and where and how. And it's really the bigger picture. Mm. It really is, you know, the way history is taught. It really is just so many things. And I, I, I'm not an academic scholar, but I can tell you, you know, my experience always being the only black in the class being looked at is different. Why is your hair like that? You know, mm. why can't you go swimming? You know, why, 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 why? And I never really fully understood why the majority of black people historically never learned how to swim, but we weren't allowed in the swimming pools. We weren't allowed, you know, in the water, unless you were like in a local Creek by your house it wasn't natural and white people couldn't understand like, Oh my God, why not? Like you don't even learn about different cultures and races and, and the way people grow up and the history that affects who we are today. And, you know, even something as simple as, you know, why we are people pleasers, why we um, are afraid to take action towards our dream. It all goes back to our, early life habits, patterns, beliefs, and behaviors, and what we saw models for us that really is so ingrained so deep. And I think racism goes a layer deeper than even our familial uh, relationship patterns that we saw around us. That it's, you know, sometimes it's just like, gosh, I see it in myself. I see it in other people. I see it in, you know, I just was in Germany for a month visiting my husband's family. And I see it in the way my sister-in-law stares at me. Like I'm mm. a monkey in a zoo. I've been with my husband more than 20 years. We've been married 11, but we've been to like, she didn't just meet me. I didn't just fall off the turnip truck, as they say. Mm -hmm. Like, but it's still such an anomaly for them to be around black people that it's just like, it's just the stairs. And so my point in sharing that with you is, you know, children are being taught racism, but it's at such a subtle microscopic mm. level that little brown and black boys and girls know on some level instinctively that they are less than than the white person without mm. actually having been told. You just see it by... Yeah. White dolls in the store. Yeah. And, you know, anybody that would disagree with that, I would say, I mean, just talk to a marketing company. Mm. The color and the tone and the sound and the placement of where we put things, everything matters at such a micro level. Everything, you know, um, you know, you talk about how to move from subconscious racism to active allyship. The subconscious um, nuances. Uh, are so important that people pay millions of dollars to help their product get sold more mm -hmm. based on the lighting and the color. Like all of those things seem to matter in business, but then it, it, it may be funny. We think it doesn't matter in our human relationships and culture. That's a great, that's a great analogy. Yeah. 
so so I could totally agree with you. You know, I, I did say this, and, and I, I'd love to get your thought on this. I said this quite quite often, and, and you know, I would say eighty percent of the things that I would say would would most people would get on board with, and maybe twenty percent either you know this side or that side or this side or that side would go. We don't like him. Um, but I, I said, you know, I think there's a few ways that I've learned because I do a lot of leadership coaching and training. There's a few ways I've learned um, that, that, that leadership can be effective, that you could move people. And one of the ways that you can move people is through fear, right? Um, we know this is true. I don't even, you know, um, you know, one of my favorite things of all time is there was a movie called The Kings of Comedy, and it was done in Charlotte, North Carolina, which is where I live. And uh, there's this famous line where he says, "I um, if I see two, three people running, I'm a run, and we'll find out why later. I don't need a, I don't need a, I don't need a run, I don't need a run coordinator. <laughs> I'm gonna run." So fear, fear will get folks to move. If you just say fire in a crowded place, we even say there's legal that it, it's one of the few things that breaches our First Amendment. You're not allowed to do that because it will get uh, 300 people to, to move so there's you fear run faster scared than comfortable don't you yeah 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 absolutely <laughs> and so you can move people with fear right we saw hitler do this and lots of dictators um uh, we, we we saw we saw white slave owners do this right we see the human beings have moved other humans through fear <clears throat> we've also seen through guilt and shame Mm-hmm. And, and, and folks that go, oh gosh, I feel so bad. I feel so awful about what I've done. I'll do this. Mm-hmm. I'll donate money. How can I make it right? How can I make amends for what I've done? And, and then we, we see that through like this crazy thing called like love and motivation and value, you can move people. Mm-hmm. You're wonderful. You're great. I need you to help solve a problem because of the values that you bring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what I, what I, have seen is that it's not the first or second time that, um, you know, we call this the, this woke culture. Mm-hmm. And I, I get sometimes nervous about that. Cause I go, man, once you get woke, you can't take a nap. <laughs> if you take a nap after you've gone woke, then you get shut off. But, mm-hmm. but if you, you know, when you find that, um, you know, in throughout human history, it's not the first time that a, a, a pocket of white folks have said, Oh my gosh, that's wrong. Let's, let's fix it. We, we, we've seen this, their agenda and their purpose may have been self-serving at times, but it's not the first time that you, you've seen in human history where white folks passed bills or legislation or marched or said, we got we to gotta do better. One of my favorite quotes of all time is, do the best you can for as long as you can, but when you know better, do better. When Maya Angelou said that, I was like, oh God, God that ought to be written everywhere. So here's what I want to know from you. How do we get white folks to not move because of fear? I don't want to lose my position, my place. I don't want to get canceled. How do we get white people not to move because of shame and guilt? Because it doesn't last. Mm-hmm. Those two don't last long. That's it's not cyclical. At all. Yeah. yeah. They're going to just go back and then in 20 years have to be like called back in to be a part of the march again. Yeah. How do we get white folks? to be a part of solving something in a sustainable way. So like when the temperature goes from hot to cold, they don't leave the kitchen. Well, I think you said it when you know better, do better. And I think it's in the knowledge, you know, part of my intention with my Facebook group called the intimacy of race is to create a library of resources. Now I'm not just saying, um, you know, watch this movie, read this history and blah, blah, blah. But there's something I post from the Equal Justice Initiative, which is one of my favorite charities to support, um, where it's like this day in history, you know, and a lot of it was in my, my lifetime, you know, to just know the history, because when you start to know the history, you can see where we're in danger of history repeating itself and you can learn how to, you know, what needs to be done. And I, and I would say more at your local level of government and, you know, but the first thing I tell people, especially, you know, if it's a corporate situation, you know, everybody wants their DE&I and DNI initiatives and they're checking off the box, just like after the Me Too movement, we had to all go through that 
sexual harassment training if you were in corporate for a period of time like I was for a hot second. And it's just like, yeah, 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 watch the movie. This is the answer. Da, 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 da. And it's easy to go through that as well with DNI. But what I would say is if you really want to help at the grassroots level, you know, have more, you know, blacks on your team, you know, hire more coaches who are black, hire, uh, use more products made from black entrepreneurs and businesses, support, give them shout outs on social media. You know, this is a really great, you know, I know this one company who makes soap, you know, it doesn't have to be just like microaggressions or little mosquito bites that build up the little things. It's the little things that you can do when you know better to do better and helping uh, a, a historically oppressed group of people get a leg up um, financially in the wealth gap, closing the wealth gap. Because if you learn history, every time a black city you know, created its own thriving economic force, it was shut down by a white mob, you know, burned to the ground. Like know your history around that and help people get back to where that they where they can have this economic strength. Because it's economic strength that helps you make changes. Mm, that's smart. You know, I I know that it, you almost like you never want to say to an arsonist. Um, it's hard to th- even conceive that you would ever thank an arsonist. But like if an arsonist decided one day that he or she realized. Um, I can put a fire out and I and I should put a fire out. Um, then, you know. I've watched some really cool documentaries where it's like, oh, I didn't know this white guy was a part of something really good that helped advance the lives of people of color. Um, That dude never got a shout out. I didn't know that till I watched this, this biography. And so I know that sometimes I think this is not a white black thing. I think this is a human thing. I think we all so desperately want to be appreciated, loved, heard, respected, And so when somebody puts their neck out and says, that's wrong. I mean, I I stopped counting after like 4,000 negative comments. Um, I said, okay, I can't count anymore. How many negative, nasty things were said about me anytime I ever said anything that I thought was just Christ-like or loving or respectful of humans, no matter their color. And so I can't, but I can't tell you, even as a human where I don't think I require or need a whole lot of attention or praise. There were a couple folks of color that were really close in my, in some of the closest people in my circle that just privately sent me a text message and said, thank you. Like, dude, I saw that text. And I also see the 4,000 hate. Um, Sorry. Call me, call me if you need an excuse to not look at social media today. And like, (laughs) you know what I mean? And so like, there's, there's so much nasty, negative things. And I think that when an arsonist says, okay, let me help put out the fire. Um, I, I do think it's, I think black lives matter. I think all lives matter, but I think if one house is burning uh, more than the rest of the houses, that's gotta be the house that gets the water. If you're a firefighter yeah. Yeah. and it's not, and it's not evil. It's not mm-hmm. evil to say, this is where I need to put the fire uh, mm-hmm. or the water rather. Yeah. So I, uh, prioritizing, you know, it's prioritizing. yeah, what, that's what it needs is to help right now yes. in this moment. And, yes. you know, that's how I build my life and my schedule. What is due first, as opposed to what is due next month <laughs> when I pay my bills, I don't yeah. pay the biggest bill first. If it's, if it's due after the little ones, you know, it's, yeah. it's that same smart. concept. What, what do I need today here and now? Because tomorrow I may not even be alive to worry about it. So let me take yeah. care of what's going to move things forward today. What has the most yeah. need? And, you know, it's something I do a lot with um, my husband because we're still running our real estate company. And, I, you know, I notice you know, even one of our partners, they get overwhelmed really quickly. And I was like, oh, they're men, they're adorable. They get overwhelmed. Let me help them. (laughs) (laughs) Let's just take a breath and see what needs to be done first. Let's prioritize. And once you prioritize as a CPR, you're clear on what needs to be done first, then decision-making becomes easy. If I prioritize this, 
and I have to decide between X and Y, well, if Y brings me closer to today's priority, then Y is the, the one I say yes to, right? Yeah. So it's it's just that simple. Being clear on what your priorities are, whether you're talking about race, racism, equality, um, you know, your your life, your health, your relationships, your business, you know, what, what do you value? Yeah. What's important to you and make decisions that will move forward or support what's important to you. Just to me, it's I, easy breezy, but not. Here's what's, here's what's <laughs> important. Here's what's important to me that we keep having great guests like Eva Medelik, uh on our, on our show. Uh, I'm so grateful and so thankful that you made time to be with us here today. Uh, I want to encourage everyone to make sure that you jot down evamedelic.com, right? It's real easy. It's just E-V-A-M-E-D-I-L-E-K.com. It's not hard. And, and, and you really ought to do yourself a favor and get a copy of The Intimacy of Race because um, the news is doing a really good job of, of getting everyone to either be frustrated or over it or, why, or to what Eva said, just watch the video, go through the motion. Like that can't be, this can't be another time in human history where we just go through the motions and fast forward to the story. So do yourself a favor and, and, and engage in those ways with Eva, our new best friend. Eva, is there anything else that you would want our listeners to do next and, and how they would prioritize and take action, whether it's a, a, a different website or, or a different course of action? What would you like our listeners to do as we land this plane? Oh, you know, it would be great for them. if Okay. Here's a gift I have for you guys. I'm going to help you identify what your relationship style is and show you how it's actually damaging or sabotaging your advancements of your career, your health, your relationships, whatever that is, and what you can do about it. Okay. Does that sound like a good idea? That's huge. Yeah. That's worth more than I can put a dollar amount on. EvaMedelec.com forward slash quiz. It's a free quiz. You'll take it easy. Yes or no answers and then you're going to get kind of your relationship style archetype where it came from how it shows up to damage your effectiveness Mm. today and what you can do about it what the transformation goal is and then you'll have an opportunity to go deeper into it if you wish but it just gives you a nice little overview to to kind of jump start it give them the website one more time what a treat thank you evamedelec.com forward slash quiz Eva, I hope you'll come back and do the show again in the future. Yes. Yes, I would love to. Hey guys, Titus Bartolotta here with Collaborative Solutions Group. I just wanted to say thank you for listening to this episode of Solutions from the Huddle. If you want to hear more episodes and continue supporting our show, simply search for and subscribe to Solutions from the Huddle on any major podcast platform. Thank you again. And we hope you'll join us soon.